Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast and another episode of the Detailed Car Collection. I am Nick. The best way to find us, HyperClean Specialist Facebook group, a lot going on, just announced a new product launch. Go to the Facebook HyperClean Specialist group to check that post out. Excited about that product. You'll be seeing more. But that group got the first news. It's a great place to interact, guys sharing work, asking questions, genuinely giving back to the community. Let's start today's episode. Last week, I went on a little bit of a rant about Ford. You wouldn't want to buy directly from Ford. They can't build cars properly. Been a tough week for Ford Motor Company. Worried about selling electric vehicles direct. They've had to halt production. Massive issues in their electric line of Mach-E. Also, something going wrong with their transmissions where cars won't stay in park. They've had to do a massive recall. Folks, this is my point of what I'm saying about so many people making irresponsible comments about manufacturers going direct. They cannot even build the cars properly. The last two years have put manufacturers under crazy amounts of stress of getting things done properly from workers to parts, to chips, to all of these different things. That's why I question the CEO talking about going direct at this moment in time, because they have much bigger issues than going direct and selling direct to you, the consumer. So a week early, obviously I didn't know all this news was coming, but not a good week for the Ford Motor Company. Just recapping last week's episode. I want to talk also about the auction market. Many of you know about the E90 M3 that I purchased through auction, but I want to do a follow-up on that. At the time, I made some wild statements. Some people in my life, collectors, significant others, thought I was making a wild statement about the specific auction I was involved in that I drove the price up on that's now ended up affecting the E90 M3 market ever since. So let's talk about it. Again, I'm not talking about it for any other reason than to get a real understanding of how finicky the auction world is. Many love to tell you that they understand it, but they're never honest about what it really is. And what it is a lot of time is, is a lot of things affecting the market that you're not aware of and I'm not aware of. Uh, at all times. But this is one that I have insight on. So I have a 2008 E90 M3, six-speed manual. And this week, we had an auction end in a direct, exact replica of my car that I won in the auction. Now, mind you, let's rehash it. There was a jerk in my auction. He drove the price up way above what it should have been, forty-five, dollars $46,000 total reneged on the payment because he's, you know, typical of what happens. The auction made no sense to me. I came on here and explained it. You can go find that episode. But here's where we are with this. This irrational public auction made everybody believe that E90 M3s were going to go through a boom, which they probably should because E92 M3s have been way overpriced. And that market's already been through its balloon period. And we'll see what happens long term. So here's the craziest part, though. 
So behind the scenes, I cut a deal a week after the auction for $38,000 all in cost to get the vehicle. Everybody assumed I paid $46,000 for the car because they didn't realize that the guy that won the car at auction couldn't come up with the money. Now we have a panicked buyer. The buyer wants us to get a deal done. We did at 38,000 all in. Auctions ending this week, E90 M3. Direct replica of my car. Man, two months, two and a half months later, we're in this position. We're going to see if Nick was right. I told everybody it was going to affect the market. It largely has ever since. No outliers. The market is going through a boom. Like I said it would after that auction. Very quiet until that auction. Car hammers down this week. 85,000 miles on the car that sold this week. And it sold for 36,750. My car has 37,000 miles on it. Buyer's premium shipping all in. That's a 42 plus thousand dollar purchase. We haven't even registered the car. I was 38,000 all in for 37,500 miles. 85,000 mile example is now going close to 37 hammer price. 42 plus all in. Yeah, I'd say the market's up after my auction. All the data points point to that. This is not a I'm right type of conversation because cars normally aren't this easy to predict. So what allowed me to predict this? Simple. The newer E92 model has gone through the roof. People have not worked themselves back to realize that the E90, especially the sedan, is probably a better experience than the E92 experience from a balanced perspective. So the market's going to catch up at some point. E92 was already on fire. It's the generation after. This is the stuff you have to know to give great advice in the market. Now, I know what everybody's going to say because it has been said to me by collectors that I talk to and well as my significant other. Well, we got to sell it. We got to sell it. We got to sell it. No, you don't. There's money to be made. But how much money needs to be made on my purchase for it to be worth it for me? A, I want to drive the car. B, I like the car. C, I haven't even gotten to do anything other than test some products we have in testing here at HyperClean on the car. I haven't got to mess with the stance of the car, the wheels. I haven't got to, to mess with the engine bay. I haven't got to detail it completely. I haven't even got to enjoy the car. I want this car. This is a car I've wanted to own. But Nick, you, 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 know, you got a chance to make some money, but how much money do I need to make? And I told everybody that asked me this week, I'd have to double my money for me to sell this right now. A, I think these are going to continue to appreciate. I don't think they're going to get crazy appreciative because we're going to go into an economic slowdown. But again, guys, there's so many people that ask me great questions about the auction market, including collectors I deal with. The biggest regrets that collectors have are selling cars they enjoy. That's the biggest regret any real car person will have. Some people say, oh, I like the way that car looks, but I didn't enjoy driving it. I don't care. Sell it. Most people lose money on their sales. Let's be honest. We're in a very rare period where a lot of people are making money. That's going to stop. And it is largely stopping in some parts of the, the auction world. Not all, but some. The European analog driving experience, there's no doubt that market's still hot. Porsche, BMW, things like that. 
but there's so many people that want me to sell this car. And an inexperienced Nick Walters would have absolutely sold this car. I would have sold this car. I would have made my money and moved on. But I've had too many cars that I've sold in the past that I enjoyed that the money wasn't enough. Now, you talk about doubling my money in a few months. That's a different story. I can find another example somewhere. I'm good enough at hunting cars. And I can wait for the market to cool and get the car again. But you never largely go and get the car again. So once this car is sold out of my possession or of a collector's possession, largely you never go rebuy that car. So I haven't really experienced this car for very long. I haven't had that much time with it. I'm not going to sell it because at some point it's got to be about the car. I get it, man. Money's money. And I'm in this for a business, but I don't think I have any downside on the purchase price. I don't think E90s in my shape and my mileage are going to go below $38,000 ever again. I can always find somebody to get my money back. So I have a no downside risk, which you don't get a free roll in the car business very often, especially on vintage cars or cars that are going to be vintage, I should say. It's a 2008. Excuse my uh, misspeaking there. But this car is going to appreciate. And again, it could be 1% a year. It could be 30% a year. That nobody knows. It's going to be dictated largely by the economy. I don't have a downside and I want to drive the car and enjoy it. So for all of you out there that are, 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 you have a third vehicle you like, somebody told you you could go make some money on it, but you have hesitation then don't sell it. If you don't need the money, you know, to, for food or shelter or something dramatic's going on in your life. And it's really an enjoyment for you. Listen to what I say. Every collector regret I've been a part of as somebody selling a car because they got an offer that made them happy and made them excited. And they took the offer and they go, man, I missed that car because I love driving it. Once the words, I love driving it come out of your mouth, don't be in a rush to sell anything. Don't be in a rush to sell anything because you realize how rare it is that you're truly going to love driving a car. Cause I can tell you how rare it is for me. There's a bunch of BMWs. I don't love that much. There's a bunch of Porsches I don't enjoy. There's a bunch of cars I don't like driving. Hell, there's a bunch of Ferraris that aren't that fun. Not every car is great to drive for what you like to do. So I got all this pressure. I got these two collectors, and I know they're listening to this, that I really love talking to. And they're all pressuring me. Oh, you could get this. You could get that. You, you know, put a reserve on it and sell it for this. And somebody will buy it. And, you know, if you do your detailing and put your company name on it and then go to your website and it's like, stop. I've already had offers on this car, good offers, offers that I would have taken in the past, except I want to own the car. And I have to keep saying this out loud because everybody thinks just because it's a business for me that I don't have enjoyment with the car. I am at a point in my career, I want to enjoy the car. And all of you that want to buy that extra car for your life have to look at it that way. Hey, man, what if, it, what if you're into motorcycles, Harleys or Ducatis or Indians? I don't care what it is. I watch guys flip bikes all the time. We, we take care of a lot of motorcycles. I got a collector that has a lot. We, we, I ride them. Uh, I take them out. I like motorcycles. But I watch guys flip motorcycles, and they always go, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have sold that one. Don't sell them. 
unless you're in a financial pinch that you got to save your business or you've had a dramatic expense come up that you need money for, if you love riding your motorcycle, if you love driving that car, I'm telling you, the next car you buy, you may not love, even though you think you should. I'm not selling this car. Now, do I have a price? Of course I have a price. I'm not an idiot. But is 10 grand profit enough? No, it's not enough. We're talking about doubling my money. If I double my money off the rip, yeah. I'll find another E90 M3. But that's not the goal all the time. And so this is why I want to share the auction market. Here was this auction that I was in control of that a guy came in and I pushed the price up on him because he was being a jerk. He couldn't complete the deal. I go in afterwards. I make a deal that the public can't see. So that sale is still on record that they sold for that high number. So the rest of the market rushes to sell their, their good examples. And even this one, 85,000 miles. I don't know that I would have paid anywhere near that price. 20,000, maybe the amount of work you're going to have to dump into that engine. I'm not paying $36,000 for that car that they just bought. It's their money. 85,000 miles on that specific BMW is a red flag number. He probably overpaid by my estimation, looking at it from a business perspective, not a passion perspective of, I want the car, $20,000 car. Because you're probably looking at five to $10,000 worth of work into that car. I know people think that's crazy, but that's probably a real number in my head. So if we look at this situation, and this is what I've been trying to get through these auction stories. There's all of these little things that happen. We just happen to have insight on this one to keep sharing with you. Look at how the market has been driven by an auction that wasn't really above board that we got to benefit from myself. And now the rest of the market's been driven by that one auction ever since. Now, when that stops, I don't know. Or that could be the auction that kicks off the E90 M3 boom that goes on for the next five to 10 years. Who knows? That could be the catalyst. But anybody that talks about auctions, you got to go back and look at this data. And I've stayed on this ever since. The data has been in my favor. Hey, this is exactly what I told everybody when that auction happened that I was involved in. This is going to be a watershed moment that the, the market goes through a boom. And those are the things that nobody ever talks about. I, I've had to learn on my own, and hopefully me sharing it helps you guys when you're looking in the auction world. Going to get a little nerdy here, okay? I want everybody to follow along. I know this is a nerdy conversation. I know this is something I would have wanted the last 24 years of my career, so that's why I'm doing it. We always hear the statement, you shouldn't pay over this for a chemical. Could be somebody's Instagram account, a YouTube video, a TikTok, a podcast, bunch of chemical experts, detailers and professionals and prosumers. The last two years of my life being involved with HyperClean has given me a really different view of what's going on. And I think as a pro detailer, I can share this. You have to be really careful listening to people about chemicals. 
there's a lot of people that play the know-it-all card and they don't actually know anything. I never really talked chemicals until I got on the inside of a chemical business. I talked privately with my vendors and asked questions and tried to get educated. And now what it seems like we want to do is get on a YouTube video, get on a TikTok and, and blow hard about why you shouldn't pay over this or that for a chemical. Or do you know that, you know, there are blending houses or do you know that that it's like, dude, I'm telling you, take it from me. 99% of these videos I've come across are just riddled with absolute lies, exaggerations, or just flat out bad information, all of the above. I don't think somebody's trying to do something malicious. Maybe somebody is, but I don't largely believe that. And so there was a video sent to me and I had a lot of fun watching it because I think this guy cares and I'm not going to out who this is. It doesn't matter. This is a, a great thing about social media is we get to use people's content to go and educate how things really work. I, I think it's a positive, not a negative. Is it a negative that people are listening to him? Yes, because he's absolutely incorrect on this subject. And it's not an opinion subject. This is how it works. And we're going to talk about car shampoo. The statement is made. He's holding this gallon jug and he goes, this cost me $15. And with all the surfactants in the world, that's all you should ever pay for a gallon of car shampoo because that's as good as it gets. There's no real reason to have anything more expensive than this. High quality brand. Not a high quality soap because the price tells us it isn't. It's not, it's not really hard to decipher how somebody can sell a $15 gallon of soap. Reminder, this guy has bought this soap from a distributor. So a distributor got 50% off that price because everybody's got to make money in, the, in, in this business. So this guy bought not only a $15 soap, he bought a $7.50 soap. That's how it works. We shared that with the wheel cleaner story. So we have to ask ourselves a question here. And we have to be honest about it. Do you really believe that a high quality soap, after you put it in a bottle, put a lid on it, put it in a box, pay your employees to do all of those things, mix it up, raw chemical, do you really think there's a lot of money to be made at $7? Or is it a cheap soap? I'm asking this question. Got a bug flying around my mic here. Driving me nuts. I'm asking this question. This is where we're getting and having these conversations. So let's get to what he said. There's no reason. Man, this bug is like, got a fly in here uh, acting crazy. Sorry about that. So let's talk about this. How is a soap made? What's important? What are the ingredients that matter? Well, you guys have probably heard, man, this, this, this bug's going to get to me to no end. Man, uh, you guys have probably heard, sorry about that. 
You guys have probably heard about surfactants. It's a driving force behind a car shampoo. It's a driving force around Dawn dish detergent. There are different surfactants. And guess what? With different surfactants and different quality levels of surfactants, there's going to be a different price in those raw materials. So let's talk about Dawn dish detergent. They use a type of surfactant. It's very cheap. It works. It's harsh. It leaves a lot of residue. It's only worried about getting your dishes clean, getting the surface that it's touching as clean as possible for as cheap as possible. That's the job of the surfactants they chose to put into that soap. Let's go to car shampoo. Okay. If Dawn dish detergent for a gallon is four or five, six bucks, and you're buying a $7 car shampoo, what do you think the difference in surfactants can be? Raw material is raw material, guys. And that's what a surfactant is. It's a raw material. So do you want people to put, put better things into your car shampoo? Or do you want the cheapest car shampoo that can be built? Because we can just stick Dawn to dish detergent into a gallon with cheap surfactants that are harsh, put some little additives in it, make it seem different, spray it on your car, put, leave a bunch of residue behind, mess with the cl clarity of your paint, have no real elite level lubrication or removal, uh, surfactant removal on the surface, not accept good additives, and you can build a cheap soap. But many of you, if I told you to go to the dollar store and get Dawn dish detergent, you'd be like, oh, that's crazy. Look at the pricing. Raw material is raw material, guys. I keep saying this. The reason I know you can't build a quality wheel cleaner for $20 is I know the raw material cost. It's not because I'm trying to be a know-it-all. It's because I'm trying to share that knowledge. So if we want better things in our car, if we want better leather, if we want better infotainment system, Somebody's going to have to put better stuff in the car, right? The same goes for our soap. If I want to use a better soap, I'm going to need better ingredients in the soap. Let's go back to his statement. His statement was, there's no reason to pay over $15 a gallon for soap. Sure there is. Sure there is. And I'm going to walk you through it. You can only build a better car shampoo by doing these types of things I'm going to list. Putting a higher percentage of surfactants into your soap. So let's say Dawn dish detergent has bad surfactants or cheap surfactants and a low percentage of surfactants in their formula, right? So they have 5% surfactants in their formula and they have cheap surfactants. That's going to be a harsh formula. That's going to be a, a, a formula that doesn't work for cars. To build a great soap, I got to put 25% surfactants in there and I got to use the highest grade surfactants. That's how I'm going to get the difference in those two soaps. And so let's talk about how surfactants from a price standpoint work. I can get the exact same surfactant from a high quality perspective, from an A grade, let's say, purity standpoint from a great manufacturer, or I can get an F. So we all understand the grading system. 
That's not their grading system. I'm just using the old school time grading system. Okay. A being great, F being bad. So I can have the same surfactant manufactured on a purity level and give it an A, or I can get a cheap one and it's an F. If I put the A at a higher percentage in my car shampoo, do you think I have a better shampoo than the guy that puts the F in the lower amount, lower percentage amount in his? Of course. You guys see the logic here. You don't have to be a chemistry expert to understand how this works. You didn't have to go take, you know, 100 chemistry classes to learn this. But the problem is nobody's ever shared it. So we're going to share it here at the Pints and Polishing. Percentage and the quality of that surfactant is going to drive the price of the raw material. But it's also going to drive whether you have a high-quality shampoo or not. What is the purpose, the main things we need to worry about when we're talking about these surfactants? Well, a high-quality surfactant allows for a better mixture, which when it's on the surface of your car's paint, mixes with dirt, oil on the surface, removing it safely. And high-quality surfactants, modern surfactants, actually increase surface tension, which will allow a lot of dirt and debris and things to be taken off the surface without any agitation. Not We know we need agitation, but now it's suspended off the paint, which allows me to remove it without mar marring the surface. See, the problem with poor soaps is low-quality surfactants don't mix well and get dirt off the surface. So it has to be agitated harshly. Now I'm grinding it into the paint. That's why if you have a high quality surfactant and a high percentage of surfactants in a formula, you'll put your mitt on there and you go, wow, this mitt glides and it doesn't seem like you can do any damage. Well, that's because that's how it works. The next thing is a quality surfactant, a high quality surfactant allows the mixture in the bottle to come together better. So let's say I want to add a protection level into my mixture. If I have a poor surfactant, all of that stuff is not going to mix well. That surfactant is in there to help this whole thing blend together. So I can't build a high quality soap with a low quality, low percentage surfactant. It's not possible. I can't build a high quality soap for $15 because the surfactant cost is more than that $15. You'd be losing money on every gallon of soap you ever sold. Let's get back to what the guy said. There's no reason to pay over $15. He just doesn't know how to get the pricing on raw surfactant cost directly from a chemical company. Because when you do it, you can build a high-quality soap that costs you more than $15 to build per gallon. And you can sit there and say, well, I don't need to pay that. Cool. Nobody says you have to pay it. But this is how soap works. If we want higher quality stuff in the market, we're going to have to pay a higher quality price. And there's so many people that want to bash about chemical companies, and some of it's very fair of what's going on in the last 25 years of my career, especially, where they're building really cheap 
not good car shampoos or spray waxes or SIO2 sprays or whatever the case may be. But folks, they don't think you want to buy quality. They can't make quality. They can't sell you quality because they don't think you want quality. HyperClean has made a huge bet the last two years I've been involved that all of you want some type of quality. It doesn't mean that you need to have a soap that costs $150 a gallon. But I venture that if you want to really maintain a ceramic coating and you want to do it on an elite level, you're willing to pay more for the soap. We're going to put a $2,500 package on a, on a car, but you're going to use a $15 gallon of soap, excuse me, and you're going to tell yourself there's no difference. It's not true at all. I gave you the difference. The percentage of surfactants in a formula the quality of surfactants that are chosen to be put in that formula. That is what's going to drive the price. Do you know how many people I wish would have been able to answer my questions in 2019 when I went around and asked and asked and asked and asked and tried to get questions answered? I never could. And that's how I ended up at HyperClean. It's time to explain in a general sense, folks, this isn't everything about making a car shampoo. This is directly related to what's important in there and how it drives price. There's a lot of people that claim they want quality or that they do quality work, but then they want to tell you there's no reason to pay over more than 15 bucks for a car shampoo. It's just not true. You can choose that you like that shampoo. I'm not, I'm not, that's cool with me. But don't act like you know what you're talking about. And that's where this stuff gets a little bit tricky, doesn't it? Here's a guy on his page. He's allowed to make these videos. I mean, we're all allowed to say what we want. But he's putting out into the ether incomplete and not true information to actually how it works. And instead of blaming him, I'm coming on here and saying, let me show you how it works. Thanks for the content idea from this gentleman. I'm not trying to bang on him. I didn't bang on him in this video, in this podcast. It's about how it works. Go use foam wash. Go use cleanse. Folks, those aren't cheap to make because they're not cheap soaps. Anybody using cleanse right now and the feedback and the craziness we have around that product, I'm here to tell you people can tell that that is not the same type of soap they've been using. Well, how do you think that happens? Higher quality surfactants, better percentages, the right mixture, the right additives, and boom, you have a product like foam wash and you have a product like cleanse. We got something on the horizon here that isn't going to be that, that far in the future. It's going to change the game on this stuff but it's not going to be $5 for a gallon. It's not going to be $15 for a gallon because it's not that type of product. This is how it works. This is what I think the purpose and what so many people I think are looking for in our industry. They're just looking for somebody to give them an idea of how it works. Hopefully I've done that. I'm not the best at explaining everything. I understand that I can get better, but think of it this way. The percentage of surfactants in the formula, the quality of those surfactants are going to drive cleaning, 
the exterior of a car in a better manner. Process can only take you so far. If I have a great process of washing a car, but I have Dawn dish detergent on the car, I'm going to mar the car because it's not providing me any of this surface tension. It's not providing me the unbelievable mixture with dirt and oil of a great surfactant that helps pull things off the surface. Again, guys, there's more that goes into it than this. And I know somebody's going to try to act like I don't know that. I do know. We know what's in our formula. We know what we're doing. But I'm here to tell you, this is the basis of why something, always bearing down on the cost of something and not knowing the whole story is a problem. You want people to pay you more for your services. You want people to look at your car at a car show and go, damn, this guy's got it together. This car looks insane. It's going to take next level products, plain and simple. Folks, I hope everybody has a great weekend. Thank you for listening to another Detail Car Collection episode. Find us at hypercleanstore.com, and you might just find a new product called HyperClean Wipe if you go check out the store. Talk to you next week.